the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have and enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afuakwa. Pastor Afuakwa is the founder and general overseer of the Faith House Charismatic Chapel International, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to preach and teach the word of faith for people to know God better, live life better, and impact their world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Kingdom Addict. Kingdom Addict. Supernatural addition is our birthright. So it shall be for you and your family in Jesus' precious name. If you are new to our YouTube channel, I want to encourage you to sign up, subscribe, and then subsequently click the bell button subsequently you'll be prompted every time we are on it's great to have you be part of this broadcast those of you who are members you're also welcome and those of you who are regular viewers and followers we are glad to have you shall we bow our heads even as we get into the word of god tonight father in the name of jesus we thank you we bless you for the opportunity to Fellowship in your word. The Bible said they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeared before God. It said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Tonight, let your word proceed fresh and anew from your mouth. And let it translate, let it transform our lives, shape us, and cause us to become the kind of people you've ordained us to be. We give you praise that no one watching this broadcast at this time or thereafter will ever remain the same. Be glorified, Spirit of God, even as you assist me to communicate your word with clarity and precision. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. Great. We've been looking at followers of God. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 has been the center of our study. It says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Be ye therefore followers of God. That has been the broad title under which I've been teaching. Be ye therefore followers of God. And the title of the teaching broadly is followers of God. But specifically, presently we are on attributes of true followers. You remember that at the early part, we asked and answered the question, are you a fan or a follower? And we're able to establish some traits about fans. Now fans, we said among many things, fans like to connect, but they don't like to commit. Fans like to enjoy the crown, but they are not ready for the cross. Among many things, we also said that fans are people who want to get a portion of the cake, but they don't want to make any contribution to it. But in this teaching, we began last week actually, we started looking at attributes of true followers. There are true followers of Christ. And I believe that you are watching this broadcast because you are either one or you want to become one. And true followers of Christ are also distinguished by unique characteristics. There are unique traits that are associated with true followers of Christ. And I believe that you either possess some of these or you are desiring to possess them. And as we go through them, you examine your lives to see where you are okay and where you need the grace of God to assist you develop even much more in these areas. Jesus had two broad people that he had to deal with. 
There were the multitudes and there were the disciples. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, he did one thing to the multitudes and another to the disciples. And in the Greek, we have a better understanding of the implication of his action. In the book of Matthew 14, 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Jesus constrained the disciples and he sent the multitudes away. We have already established what it means to send the multitudes away. The word sent in the Greek has several meanings, among which is that Jesus divorced the multitudes. Jesus dismissed the multitudes. Jesus relieved the multitudes. Jesus parted company with the multitudes. But when it came to the disciples, he did something very, very critical. The Bible says he constrained them. The Greek has a stronger meaning for the word constrain. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. The, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And so sometimes in order for us to be able to get a deeper understanding of some of the words, it's better that we consult the original language. And when you consult the original language, the word constrain actually means to compel. Jesus compelled them. You remember in the book of Luke chapter 14, verse 23, Luke 14, 23, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. That is the same word, that my house may be filled. That's the same word that is used there. The word constrain is the same word used in this, in this particular verse saying compel. Jesus compelled them. He compelled them. You see, as a disciple, you don't do the things you want to do. You do the things God wants you to do. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful but you are not expected to be brought under the power of any. A disciple does not live a life of his own. A disciple lives a life to please and to honor his master. That's why Jesus had to compel them. And you must understand that in your Christian work, there are things you may like to do, but every time you measure it according to the standard of the word of God, if the word of God does not sanction it, you cannot live your life like that. A Christian and a believer for that matter, a true follower of God for that matter, lives by the standards of the word of God, not by the trends, the current trends of fashion, the current trends of the moment, but he lives his life according to the details of the word of God. May the grace of God rest upon you that you will live your life according to the demands of scripture in the mighty name of Jesus. So Jesus constrained them. That was one. He compelled them. He necessitated them. He drove them. He forced them. That's another meaning of the word compel. He forced them with threats. He forced them with, with, by other means. All kinds of means. Whatever means he could. He, com- he literally forced them into the shape. They didn't want to go, but he forced them. Sometimes you may not feel like you must come to church, but God commands you to be in church. You may not feel like giving. You are commanded to give anyway, anyhow. Why? Because that is a mark of a follower. So we started looking at characteristics of true followers. And in this series, we'll be looking at eight in all. We'll be exploring eight different attributes of true followers. Last week, we began with one, and I want to finish with that one. And then subsequently, we will zoom in into the other ones. So we said that 
A true follower, number one, is decisive. A true follower is decisive. We live in a world full of options. There are too many options. You go to the shop, you want to buy something, too many options. Whether it's electronics, mobile phone, whatever you want to buy. At any one point in time, you have too many options. There are first grades, second grades, third grades, different, different options. And so it makes it sometimes very difficult to make a decision. It makes it, when you are faced with several choices, it's always not easy to make a decision. And in our world today, people don't know what they believe. People have so many things. A lot of things are being added to our faith. And we need to understand that as true followers, we are called to be decisive. We cannot be torn in between two things. Like uh, Elijah told the, the prophet of Ba. He said, if God is God, let him be. If Ba is God, let him be. He said, you are torn between two opinions for too long. And there are people who are torn between two opinions for too long. Believers who are torn between two opinions for too long. Sometimes it's an opinion between which church to attend, which one not to attend. Sometimes it's an opinion between which friend to keep, which one to let go. And we must understand that in all matters of choices, the final decision, the final arbiter must be the word of God. True followers are decisive. Let's look at our reference which we, 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 we looked at last week. Jesus, in his work with his disciples, you know, you remember he called them, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20. Then they immediately left their net and followed him. It was an immediate response. 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their net. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. When you read this, in this raw state, it looks like these guys were making an impossible decision, but that was not exactly the case. Later on, this decision they made to follow Jesus came biting hard at them. And this is where we see their steadfastness in the decision they made, their firmness, their commitment, their persuasion of mind in making this decision. They were not confused at all. They were not coerced. They knew exactly the decision they had made and they were committed to that decision. Let's look at Luke, uh, John chapter 6 verse 69 where Jesus gave a very hard teaching. He gave a teaching that made him lose a sizable percentage of his followers at the time. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand? Who can understand it? When Jesus knew himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit which gives life, the flesh prophesies nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time on, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. 
a hard saying revealed what was in the heart of the people until a leader corrects the people that are following him hard. He will never truly, truly, truly know what is in their heart. Everybody can pretend around a leader. But when hard teachings, hard sayings are issued, hard instructions are issued, when instructions are issued that goes against the comfort zone of followers, that is when you know what is truly in the hearts of people. So Jesus gave the teaching. The Bible says, many of them went back. And Jesus said to the 12, verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, see the difference. He said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter, you remember, Simon was the man he called by the seaside. He saw him fishing by the seaside and said, follow me. And the Bible said he left his net and came to follow him. That decision, I said, looks on face value, it looks like something very impossible. But here, Peter makes us aware that he did not just make the decision hurriedly. He knew exactly what he was communicating, what he was committing himself to. But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have made the decision to follow God, but when the challenge comes, do you contemplate going somewhere? There are believers today, the little challenge, they have a challenge with marriage, they want to go somewhere. They have a challenge with childbirth, they want to go and consult some malam or some juju somewhere. They have a challenge with uh, business, and the first place they want to go is some malam or some demonic entity somewhere. That is not a mark of a follower. Peter said, Jesus asked him, would you go also? After a hard teaching, would you go also? He said, no, we know. We, have no, we know you have the words of eternal life. We are not looking for something to eat in our present life and die. No, we are committed to you for eternity. We want something that will last us in eternity. When you make a decision for Christ, you must understand that that decision is a lifetime decision. It's an eternal decision. And that decision must not be sacrificed for any earthly or temporal decision. No. He said, we know you have the words of eternal life. And I like verse 69. And so, we are, and also, we have come to believe and know you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We have come to believe and know. We have come to believe and know. We have come to believe and know. It's not just a matter of just believing. You must know who Christ is. The people who are very steadfast in their walk with God and can stand with Christ in the midst of crisis are people who know who he is. When you know God is faithful, no matter how tempted or tested you are, you will still stay steadfast with God. When you know God is good, there is no one that can make you feel that God has treated you unfairly. When you know that God is kind, no matter what happens, you know that God will come through for you. The Bible says, let every man be a liar and let God be true. God is not a man that you should lie. When we remain steadfast, the Bible said, even when we deny him, he cannot deny himself for he abided faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. So Peter said, we know and we believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I said last week that a deep conviction about who Christ is, who Jesus Christ is, is foundational in becoming a true follower of God. You must have a deep conviction. You must have a strong persuasion. You must be convinced beyond every reasonable doubt 
that Jesus is the Lord. And scripture gives us enough, more than enough reason to be convinced and to be convicted that Jesus is Lord. We see that in scripture abundantly. This was the case when Jesus asked his disciples, Matthew 16 verse 13 to 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippa, he asked his disciples, say, who do men say that I am? The son of man am. So they said, some say, John the Baptist, some Elijah, others say, Jeremiah, and one, and others, one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Other people can have their opinions about who Christ is, what the church is, who your pastor is, and all kinds of things. People always have their various opinions because of the lenses they are wearing. So, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? You see, whichever leader you are following, it's important that you get a personal revelation about the leader. You must have a personal revelation, not depend on what people say about him. If you meet people and you ask who Pastor Fokka is, they may tell you what they, whatever they think, whatever they've heard about me. That's what they will say. But when you come into contact with me and come to experience my ministry, or you come to fellowship with me, you come to know me, you get to know me for yourself. And that becomes a proper and an excellent revelation about me to you. You must always, it's important that you don't, you don't just relate to people based on the flesh. As a church member, don't relate to your pastor based on the flesh. The Bible says, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. You must get a spiritual revelation about who your man of God is, who your pastor is, who Jesus is. You need a revelation about him. And when you have a revelation about him, no matter who is living, who is messing up around you, what people say, you are certainly convinced. This was a revelation Peter had. He says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. What you know about Christ, how do you know it? Do you know it by flesh and blood? Do you know it? What revelation do you have about Christ? Do you have a revelation about him in the flesh because he met your needs? Or you have a revelation about who he is? In the spirit, it's critical. Spiritually matured people know who Christ is. Your decision to follow Christ. Look at Apostle Paul. I like 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. He said, for this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Then he says, for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. You see, you must know whom you have believed. And you must be persuaded. That's what we call conviction. You must have a conviction about who he is. And last week, I started walking you through eight important convictions you must have about Christ. Number one, we said you must have a strong conviction that Jesus is Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is God. There are some religious sects today that do not affirm the fact that Jesus is God. They would rather have Jesus to be one of the prophets. They will have Jesus to be anyone else but God. But scriptures are clear. It is replete in scripture that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That was the encounter that a revelation he gave of himself to Philip. Philip said, so as the father. And you'd have said, you'd have thought that Jesus would just point to heaven and say, the father is up there. But no. Jesus said, ah, Philip, what kind of question are you asking? You mean all this while I've been with you, you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is to say, Jesus 
is God. Number two, we said Jesus is the son of God. And then number three, we said Jesus came into the world as a man, as a son of man to redeem mankind from the power and the yoke of sin. This was why Jesus came. That's why he came. He came to redeem man from the power and the yoke of sin. Look at 1 John 4, verse 1 and 3. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether they are God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Jesus came in the flesh. That is what makes Jesus different from all. He was God all by himself. And he became human complete. He became a total human being. He was total God who became a total human being. That's why he's able to deliver. That's why he's able to save. In the book of 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, he said, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Look at that. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery? That God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's the summary. Everything about Jesus is found there. He was justified, he was manifested in the flesh, born of a woman, born in the flesh, and then the Bible says he was justified in the spirit. The Bible says, while he was being baptized, and a, a dove came, and the Spirit of God, through God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration, an affirmation also came. Jesus was a proof of God in diverse signs and wonders. That man, the Bible said, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost and with power. He was justified by the Spirit. And the Bible says, he was seen by angels. His birth was announced by angels, preached among the Gentiles. Apostle Paul and the others preached him among the Gentiles. We are still preaching him today. Believe on in the well and receive up into glory. Jesus is God. Jesus came into the flesh to redeem man. Number four. Jesus was supernaturally conceived and born sinless by Virgin Mary. That's a conviction you must have. You can be a true Christian and not have this strong conviction. Jesus was conceived supernaturally and Jesus was born supernaturally. There was no human involvement with Jesus' birth except Mary's womb that became a means or a conduit through which Jesus came onto the earth. So, Jesus was supernaturally conceived and you must have this conviction. Nobody should make you doubt that. The Bible says in Isaiah, this had been prophesied a long time ago. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give thee a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Luke chapter 1 verse 30 and 31. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Verse 34 to 36. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be seen? I do not know a man. So Mary knew no man. And the angel said and said to uh, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest shall, therefore that holy thing who shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Clear. Jesus was supernaturally born by the Holy Ghost. 
through the womb of Mary. The fifth conviction you must have to become a true disciple is the conviction that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected the third day from the grave. Jesus lived, died, and resurrected the third day from the grave. This is critical because, you see, when Jesus died, the soldiers, the Pharisees, the priests of the day, they actually wanted to keep this truth. This is one of the most debated subjects. But yet, this is also the anchor, the pillar of the Christian faith. This is what distinguishes the Christian faith from all other faiths. In all other faiths, they have all, they, they, their leaders went to do something and they said they will come back. Some said they will go for the power to overcome death and they went and death overcame them. Others, we don't know their whereabouts. But when it comes to Jesus, when you go to the region, the Middle East, the, the, the nation of Israel today, you can clearly see the tomb where Jesus was laid. The place where the man resurrected from Jesus is not in the grave. He's alive and alive forevermore. Soldiers were actually paid to twist the story. When you read the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 11 to 15, the soldiers were paid to say that Jesus did not resurrect and that his, his disciples came to steal him away. That in itself is a testimony. So the testimony of the soldiers who were not his disciples by itself affirmed the fact that Jesus resurrected. Now, the resurrection of Christ is important. Our faith in that resurrection is important because, you see, when we believe that Jesus died and rose, then we can also have confidence that in death there is resurrection for us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand. Verse 2. He said, By which also you are saved. Which gospel are we saved? He said, There's a gospel by which we are saved. And Paul is going to talk about that gospel. If you hold fast the word which I preach unto you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, all that which I also received. So Paul said, concerning this one, I received it. I received it and I'm delivering it to you. You know, Apostle Paul is one man who was talking in the book of Galatians. And he says that the revelation he received, he did not receive it from man. For no man gave it to him, but, but the revelation of the Holy Ghost himself. But there were things Apostle Paul taught and affirmed, which were not necessarily direct revelation from God, but they were revelations that have been transmitted to him by others. And this particular one was one of such. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Jesus died. For and that he was buried, Jesus was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So if anybody ever walks to your house with a bag or with the Bible, with any booklet, and claims anything otherwise, please give him. The Bible says, bid him good speed or God speed. Don't waste your time on such people. They don't know what they are talking about. And that he was seen by Caiaphas. Then by the 12, no. Now, Paul is saying that when Jesus resurrected, he was seen by specific individuals. These are strong things that cannot be debated. He was seen by such people, by Caiaphas, by the soldiers, by the 12. Verse 5, 6. 
After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. By some have fallen asleep. Paul is saying, when Jesus rose, he did not just uh, manifest himself or appear to his disciples. There were people who, who saw him. Cephas or Caiaphas was one of those who saw him. Then he says, the 12 disciples saw him. Then he said, over 500 people saw him. After that, he was also seen by James. Then by all the apostles. And verse 8, he said, the last of all is that he was seen by me also. As by one born out of due time. Now you know that when Paul, those days when Jesus was around, Paul was not uh, saved. But on the road to Damascus, Paul had an encounter, vivid, direct encounter with Christ. That was to turn his life around. This time he had ascended to heaven and he appeared to him and he saw him. So he said, I've also seen him, that the man is not in the grave. The man died and he resurrected and is now alive forevermore. Praise the Lord. Come on, type in the comment box, Jesus is alive forevermore. That's it. That's the anchor of our faith. That's the strength of our faith. That's what distinguishes our faith from all others. And you need to be convicted about this. That's important. Number six, Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven. He did not just resurrect, he ascended to the Father in heaven. In Acts chapter 1 verse 9 to 11, and when he has spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, who also had him say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same, the same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven. So Jesus was taken up to heaven. In Ephesians 4 verse 8, he said, He who ascended was he who descended. And when he has ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gift unto men. Jesus ascended to heaven. Number seven. This is the seventh conviction. True followers must have. This is Jesus will come again for those who believe in him. Wow. Jesus is coming again. For those of us who have placed our faith in him, he's coming back again for us. And if you are watching this broadcast, we are yet to come to faith in Christ. I just want to encourage you that Jesus wants to come and he wants to come for you also. And all you need to do is to admit him and make him your Lord and Savior. Give him opportunity to lead you given opportunity to become Lord and master over your life. He died after all for you and is willing to save you at any time. Jesus is coming back. He told his disciples, I will come back. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. When I'm done, John 14 verse 1 to 3, I will come back and I will take you to where I am and where I am, you'll be there also. In the book of Acts, we are told, while the people were looking, he said, this same Jesus who is taken up, he will come back again. Jesus is coming back. I'm glad to announce to you that he's coming back and he's coming for us and he'll take us to a place where there is no sorrow, no pain, no wahala, no challenge, no COVID-19. Amazing. We shall be united with him someday to come. What a joy that day will be. I pray that when that day comes, you'll be there. When the role is called up yonder, may you be counted among them in the mighty name of Lord Jesus. And then finally, I want you to be convicted about the Father. As a disciple of Christ, Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's something they call the universalism or unity of God. That, that means 
that there are many ways to God or there are many ways to the Father. People say all kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus said it clearly. The scriptures are clear. The scriptures do not tell us there's a Buddha way to God, there's a, a, a Muhammad way to God. There's only one way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. If it is the Father you want to reach, the way to him is Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no name under heaven given among men by which you might be saved. There's no name. On this planet, there's no name. Don't be deceived. There's no name. There's no name. It's nice to say that, oh, uh, there are many ways to God. Okay, all these other people who don't believe in Christ, you mean all of them will go to hell? Well, according to the scriptures, if you have not placed your faith in Christ and you place your faith in any other person, when you die, hell is your destination. But you know what? God gave his gift of Christ to all of us. Now, what we believe in, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this night, I want to give you the opportunity and the privilege no matter which set you belong to, no matter how deceived you, are, you, you have been previously, today you have heard the truth, you have heard the light of the gospel, and you want the light of the gospel to illuminate your life and transform your life. All you need to do is to give your life over to him. Say, Lord Jesus, if you want to pray that prayer and make Jesus your Lord and Savior, knowing that he's the only way to the Father, every other way is the wrong way. The only true way to the Father is through Christ. And you want to make a commitment to him today. I want to say, Jesus, now I know you are the only way. Come into my life and be my Lord. If you are ready to make that prayer, why don't you bow down your head as I pray with you. Lord Jesus, say this after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your word that I've received. I admit I'm a sinner. And I confess you. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart you died for me. And I confess with my mouth you are my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and making me your own. By faith, I'm a new creature. Thank you in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer in faith, I want you to be assured that you are born again, you are saved. The Spirit of God has taken residence in you. We want to hear from you so we can reach out to you and be able to be part of your joy and be part of your spiritual development. Send us a message, send us an email. And then let us know how well you are doing in the Lord. The Lord bless you for being part of our broadcast tonight. I'm excited to always come your way with God's word. Pastor Afraqua has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. To get a copy of this message and other messages, as well as books by Pastor Afraqua, please call 540 or email us at faithhousechapel at yahoo.com get interactive with pastor afuakwa on facebook twitter and instagram you can also visit our website www.faithhousechapel.com for any other information fellowship with us this and every sunday for our celebration services 7 a.m first service 8 30 a.m second service and 10 a.m our third service and on Wednesdays for our discovery service at 6 p.m. at our church auditorium on the top floor of Nanama Ejekumar Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station Santa Runabout, Kumasi. God richly bless you.